Welcome, everybody, to the Vol Bros. My name is Evan. This is my brother, Rustin. We are two bros who are actually bros in real life. We're two Vol Bros who are actually bros. And man, oh, man, what a show we got today. This is awesome. We're so excited. Uh, our special guest today, you've seen him on ESPN. You've seen him on SEC Network. You've seen him signing shoes and T-shirts at a Tennessee game on the sidelines. And most recently, you've seen him on his brand new podcast, Cube Show, Thank you so much, Cole Kubelik, for joining us. Uh, welcome to the Vol Bros. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. And, uh, I mean, let's be honest, the SEC, ESPN, I mean, that's pretty big time. But, I mean, now that you're on the Vol Bros, that's, you, I mean, that's, you've arrived at that point, really. <laughs> we I mean. made it. We made it. Um, well, Cole, you on your YouTube uh, channel, which I'm going to show that on the screen here, uh, recently you did an episode uh, about how the SEC – expansion is going to impact uh and whole college football landscape really but you made a couple really interesting points and which is why i asked you to come on our show today and thank you so much for joining us and being gracious to join us i would also like to point out cole every sunday cole releases an episode his most recent one was about todd munkin now moving on to the ravens uh as tennessee fans we are not super sad about that uh but we we uh, were kind of happy about that but everybody go check out that episode we'll put a link to this channel uh in the description of this episode as well as a link directly to that video you can also find it just at youtube.com forward slash at cube show 61 and i think we can see why it's cube show 61 uh based on the jerseys behind cole uh so cole our first question for you is how what are some of those unintended consequences uh of this SEC expansion? What are some unintended consequences that people may not be thinking about yet? Sure. Well, I think number one, 16 team scheduling is, is hasn't been done very often. I think that in and of itself is going to be difficult. So you're going to have teams, that, even though the commissioner has made an emphasis to say, if we go that direction, we're going to have obviously scheduling that's going to allow teams to play each other on a more frequent basis. You know, people bring up the, the Georgia and A&M or whatever it was and certain teams that haven't played in however long you're still going to get some of that. So I think what you might see down the road is maybe two SEC teams playing a bowl game if they haven't played for four or five, six years. Um, and then, two, I just think moving forward, like, like what does it do for some of the non-conference scheduling? Uh, they go to non-conference games, and then obviously you've got some teams like Kentucky playing Louisville, Georgia playing Georgia Tech. Are we going to get any of those other big non-conference matchups? Now, a lot of people would say we don't need to because look at what we've got from a conference perspective. We don't have to have yeah. those anymore. Um, and then I, I think one of the others that a lot of folks have brought up to me that I'm not super concerned about is just what is Texas going to be? Are they going to try to come in and, and sort of throw their weight around and throw their muscle around and they have all these resources and all this extra money and history and tradition? And my response to that has just kind of been, listen, there, there's been a two-ton gorilla in the room that's been dominating college football for a decade. There's another one that looks <laughs> like it's about to dominate for the next decade. So I just – I don't see what, te what Texas would come in and all of a sudden feel like they can just move certain teams to the side or get their way from a certain perspective with this rules or this travel or this schedule. And I just don't think Greg Sankey's the kind of guy that's going to allow that either. So I, I do think there are a couple of, of minor complications that could take place um, that some people don't think about. Now, the ones we do think about, obviously, are, are ones that have been discussed a lot more. And it's those rivalry games. What are they going to look like? And who's going to play who? And how many conference games? You know, those kind of things are still going to be up for grabs. But um, all in all, I don't think the negatives outweigh the positives by any stretch of the imagination. Well, 
one thing you mentioned that I really found intriguing was what if there's a scenario where there's three teams with the same conference record? Yeah. Who's, who's going to end up in the SEC championship game? Um, Do you think, let's just make everybody mad in in all of SEC nation. uh, Do you think it's going to be an objective? Whoever's ranked higher in the college football playoff ranking is going to be the two teams to go. (laughs) Do you think it's going to be a, like an, an objective point differential, which I mean, hey, Tennessee fans, now that Heupel's here, we're all about point differential. We'll take that. We love point differential. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I think that that would probably be objective or subjective based on the two teams that were in and the one team that was left out. And that team that left out is not going to like it, whatever it is, and they're going to think it's bogus. And the two teams that are in are going to say, yeah, it's great. <laughs> we should stick with that forever. No problem. Um <laughs> I'll be interested to see what it is because it's when you get away from divisions, I do think there are a lot of folks that don't think about the fact that, oh, by the way, we might not have two definitive winners that look like they automatically qualify for the SEC championship game. You're not getting rid of the SEC championship game. It's just too important. It's, it's, it means too much. It's, it's essentially adding another playoff game to whatever playoff structure that we already have. Uh, the ratings are through the roof. So it's, it's a giant moneymaker, and it's great for television. It's great for league exposure, so you're not going to get away from that. But not having division winners means you you might have more than two automatic – or deem, be deemed as automatic qualifiers to be able to go to the SEC championship game. So I'm not sure what that would be. Um, with a 12-team playoff, I wouldn't think you would lean as much on the college football playoff rankings. This is just my opinion. I, I, I don't know. Right. But – you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't think that you would lean on that as much because let's be real, if you had a twelve team playoff and there's three SEC teams that all essentially from a record perspective could be in the SEC title game, they're all three probably getting in either way. So yeah. I, I would probably base my tiebreaker something on more so on the lines of what had happened inside the league and, and what those teams had maybe done against other competition that they all three played or against one another, things of that nature. That, that to me, would be the way you'd go first because I, I think when you when you bring into all right, the, the highest-ranked team in the college football playoff, you're almost leaning into we want to give our best our, that team the best chance of getting into the playoff. Uh, with the 12 team, the SEC is not really going to need that. So, um, I mean, you're, you're looking at three every year and, and a good chance of getting four some years. So, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think that that would be at the top of the totem pole of things that you would want as far as who's going to be playing in your title game. So we're looking at potentially three guaranteed games every year that, that are consistent recurring, you know, for however long that goes. Um, and then an additional five or six that rotate. Um, if Greg Sankey were to call you today and say, Cole, which one do you like the eight or the nine game? What's your preference and why? And I want to add one little extra onto that. How do you think SEC athletic directors are leaning right now? Uh, I mean, obviously I want nine because, you know, I, I understand what teams like Ball State and Tennessee Chattanooga and Austin P need for their budgets to be made. But I also sure. understand that where we're going in college football, you, you need to make your conference as strong as possible, give your conference as many advantages as possible and when that inventory takes a big step forward, which would be happening if you went to nine conference games, I think it's only great for the league across the board. Is it going to hurt some smaller schools? Yeah, it is because you're that's a that's a pay game that's going to be gone, and those pay games make those schools budgets. It's like oh yeah, uh, during COVID, I you know I did Samford football games uh, for TV, and I I basically came out and said I think FCS should go to the spring. 
And they didn't like it. Uh, they were big mad about it, the FCS fans. But when you look at the amount of people you could put in the stands comparatively, you know, I talked to Martin Newton, uh, the athletic director over there, and he said, listen, we schedule based on where Auburn and Alabama are going to be. And we know if they're both at home and we have a home game, you can probably cut our, our stands in half of what we're normally going to get. And I think they could make up that budget just with people that would come to games off, off ticket, food, and merchandise revenue that you would have for sure. six, seven home games. Uh, so those games are going away. Um, that aside, uh, I think it's just better for college football to have better games as much as possible. Um, as many times as you can get a fringe fan tuned into a game and maybe fall in love with it, I, I think that's a win for everybody involved. So for me, it would be nine games. I do feel like that's kind of the ace up the sleeve for Greg Sankey to be able to say, okay, if we're going to go to that, we haven't agreed upon that yet, but our inventory goes up. So now the, the cost has got to go up. So you tack on an extra – 100, 150 million a year, whatever it is, uh, because you're going to get, it's like you're getting one better game a year. Obviously you get a lot of better games a year and that's going to, sure. that's going to be big for the TV networks. So Mitch Barnhart's been pretty outspoken that Kentucky wants eight. So how do you think SEC athletic directors are leaning? If I'm an SEC athletic director, I, I understand you want, you want the opportunity to become bowl eligible to, to maybe get into the conference championship game. And if you're not in that game, like we talked about a little bit earlier, potentially be able to qualify for the college football playoff now that it's expanding. But your athletic department's revenue and budget, I would think, have to come first because if, if your bank account's not stocked, you're not getting new facilities, you're not able to pay coaches the way that you want to, you're not able to do all those other things. So I would – and then, I think the, a big, the, the big misnomer in all of college athletics minus like – you know, eight, 10, 12 teams is that, you know, these ADs are just going home and, and diving into their Scrooge McDuck vault and swimming hundred dollar <laughs> bills. It's like, it's not like that. Uh, there's not a 50, $80 million surplus every year that people are saying, what do we do with this? Right. It doesn't work that way. I mean, I, I talked to, I put to high level group of five head coaches after COVID that said, we got five extra scholarships and I don't know how we're going to do it. I said, what, what are you talking about? And guys who said, well, we, got, we got 12 extra guys. We, got, we have eight extra scholarships. I don't know how we're going to afford it. Said, what do you mean you're not going to afford it? He's like, well, that player eats. That player gets stipend. That player gets scholarship. That player right. travels. Like that's I – don't, I don't know if our budget's made for that. And I understand that Tennessee is a lot different than, you know, Memphis or Southern Miss or South Alabama. But still, that, just, that gives you a little bit of perspective on kind of where we are all together. Right. I would want as many people in the stands for as many games as possible. Um, now, obviously, that brings revenue. That brings ticket revenue. Concessions, huge. Merchandise, huge in the stadium. Yeah, I remember when Jay Jacobs was the AD at Auburn, he told us the percentage of what they made off of licensing and gear at, at home games was a much bigger chunk than I would have ever imagined. It's not just beer sales and, and ticket revenue. You know, people coming in buying shirts and hats and, sure. you know, stuffed animals, whatever it is. It's, it's massive at every home game. I would want to take advantage because, uh, I mean, it's not like you get 20 or 30. I mean, you only get six to eight of these a year. I would want to take advantage of as many as possible and then make my environment look better for more games, if that's at all possible. So instead of having right. five games where it's loud and it's raucous and it's, it's the way that it should look every week, now maybe you have seven or eight of those games, which you can go brag about and recruits like a little bit more. It looks better on TV. And it gives your team a better chance to go out there and win some of those games. So I, I honestly don't know why 80s would be against it. I know maybe protecting guys and getting more wins, those kind of things. But 
I, I would think the positives would outweigh the negatives of staying at eight as opposed to going to nine. So if you're Danny White at Tennessee, who would you like your three permanent opponents to be? <laughs> who would I like or, or who's probably what's best for all involved? Uh, because I don't think well, I would like it to be Alabama every year, right. but <laughs> it needs to be Alabama every year. Um, and Tennessee is one of those tricky teams, kind of like uh, kind of like LSU, kind of like Florida, where you know you don't have the Egg Bowl, the Iron Bowl, right. where it's the, the in-conference rival every year. You know, some people are going to qualify Vanderbilt as that, but we know that that, that game is just not quite as meaningful, even as Tennessee, Florida, Tennessee, Georgia. I mean, you know, when I was when I was when I fell in love with college football, Tennessee, Florida was the game. Like that, sure. it was literally a playoff game, and it was early in the season, like you know, third week of the season every year, and there were NFL guys everywhere. The winner usually won the division and competed for a national title. So, I know what that game means, and I think this past year was the first time it's felt like that in a long time. Um, That's right. I think I, for me personally, you stay in state and you keep Vanderbilt because that's one at the end of the year that you can have as your rivalry game. You have to keep Tennessee, Alabama. For me personally, and some of this would depend on where you go other places. And if, if Georgia was out and if Florida was out, I think Kentucky should be that next team that's in line. I mean, that has been a rivalry game. There has been a trophy involved in that game. There, there's a lot of animosity between those fan bases. I say that in a good way. Um, that's, that's the direction that I would like to see it go. Uh, yeah. Now, not that I'd be mad if it was Georgia or Florida, because I think both those would be incredible to have every year. But I just think from the perspective of what that game has been, uh, those two teams, and I, and I think you're going to get a little complicated with some other teams, and they're going to kind of run out of games. And so that's one where I think you could allow – you look at Georgia, and you, you know it's going to be Auburn. You know it's going to be Florida. Okay, so who comes next? You know, is it is it South Carolina? Is it Tennessee? Which which direction do you go? Uh, and then we keep in mind we still have Texas and Oklahoma coming into the league. So are you going to want one of those teams to play one of these teams? So I I, I think there's going to be a lot of a lot of options where on that third game you have to look at two or three opponents and say okay we're going to have to make this good for three teams as opposed to what's best for the one team. And that's why I think all those teams would make sense. Like, I'd love it to be Tennessee, Florida. I just, I, I think that would be amazing. But we know Florida's going to get Georgia. Um, we know Florida is, I think Florida should get LSU. But, I mean, LSU's got Alabama. LSU's going to have A&M. And then they're a weird one. Like, yeah. do, you try to, do you try to bring in, you know, a, a team that stays, you know, kind of west? Or, you know, LSU-Arkansas play for a trophy. LSU-Auburn was great for like a 10-year span. We got some amazing games there. So that that's another one. So it gets complicated. But for me, I, I kind of like the balance of, you know, Tennessee-Alabama, Tennessee-Vanderbilt, Tennessee-Kentucky. And that's exactly what uh, Josh Heupel said when he was asked that question at SEC Media Days before this most recent season. Uh, they asked him, and he immediately, without hesitation, he said, well, obviously we want to keep a rivalry with Alabama. And I love the fact that he didn't shy away from that, knowing right. he hadn't beaten Alabama yet at that time. And so I love the fact that he didn't shy away from it. And then he also said, and then, you know, geographically speaking, we'd probably, you know, look at Vanderbilt and Kentucky. You'd think those would be natural fits as well. So, I mean, as a Tennessee fan, I mean, if those are our three permanent opponents every year, I'd be cool with that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, our, Cole, our last question for you. I mean, this is a, a the Vol Bros, so we're, you know we're all, all about Tennessee here. Uh, Cooper Mays, 
we love that guy. I mean, we, we think he's one of the most underrated offensive linemen in the SEC. He's been an anchor. You know, last year, obviously, we had Darnell Wright, Jerome Carvin. Uh, but Cooper Mason, he's just a consistent anchor for that offensive line. Where would you rank Cooper among SEC offensive linemen? Um, SEC offensive linemen is tough because it's moving and shaking so much. you got so many different guys coming into the league. But we'll kind of start with centers. With Ricky Strongberg leaving, um, you know, I think – I think he'd be right there next to a Darian Dowcourt at Alabama. Um, I would not have him over Cedric Van Praan at Georgia. I think he's the best returning center in college football. But, I mean, he's top tier after that. You know, and, and if, if tier one is just one guy, I, I think I think Cooper would be next in line. The only the only issues that you've had with him is he's been a little bit dinged up, and a lot of times he's tried to play through that. And I've always given a kid credit for going out there and gutting it out, playing when they're not 100%, playing through an injury. Uh, you know the mean streak, the nasty is going to be there. We obviously saw how his brother played. I'm a, I was a big fan of Cade. Uh, and I'm a fan of Cooper. I think he's got a solid game. He's got good quickness. He's got enough power. And to be able to handle everything inside, it's not, it's not an easy task. And not something mm-hmm. that a lot of guys are up to or want uh, to have on them, per se. And I think he's, I think he's good with that. And he understands that. And he wants that. So um, I think he has a chance to be – one of the better offensive linemen in the SEC this year that we talked about. You know, you mentioned last year, I mean, Darnell was – I thought Darnell played better than the tackle in the league. Broderick yeah. Jones played great football, but start to finish, I mean, I, I thought Darnell played best, best football of any tackle in the Southeastern Conference. Now, Broderick's probably a little more talented, top-end talent, just like ability, you know, lateral movement, flexibility, you know, athleticism overall, so he may get drafted a little bit higher, but – I mean, I, I didn't see Darnell Wright get beat a whole lot last year. But, you know, it's, it's like a lot of this stuff when we talk about it, we break it down, it comes down to it. Like, Darnell Wright got guys blocked at the end of the day, like maybe more so than any other tackle in the league. And what he did one-on-one with Will Anderson was just incredible. Go back and put that game on, and Absolutely. It, was, it was outstanding. But, you know, it, it's actually, you mentioned the podcast. Like, we, we talked about um, Carr coming over from Texas, a kid who I think can help inside, uh, can end up being a starter for, for that offensive line. Uh, I'm a fan of how they operate, fan of how Glenn Ellerby's managed it the last couple of years. Um, I think you may have a starter coming in from Texas. And then, obviously, you guys have probably heard me talk about Spragans. He's one of my favorite guys in the league. I know he's, he's an overachiever talent-wise, but just the way that he plays, the effort that he gives, the, the extra that he brings to that group, I'm always a big fan of. And when you got your center coming back, I mean, that kind of sets you up for everything else. So I'll be interested to see the tackle positions for Tennessee this year because – I think where a lot of people get a little bit lost is, well, you know, is he 6'5"? Does he have, you know, 37-inch arms, this, that? Like, Tennessee gets out of that mold a little bit. It doesn't always have to be the perfect fit at every position of, you know, guard, tackle, center, whatnot. Just, there's the, there are a lot of things within the offense that aid the offensive line. So, assignment's obviously going to be big. Being able to manage tempo and getting the line, things like that are going to be big. But – it's a, it's a group that doesn't always have to look exactly the way that you want it. Part of that, the offensive scheme. Part of that, Glenn Ellerby, how he manages it. But yep. I think Cooper's got a chance to be one of the better linemen in the SEC that we're talking about this fall. We like that. <laughs> hey, we're always going to agree with that. Um, well, as, as everybody's seen on, on underneath Cole's name, you've seen that at Cube Show 61. That is his handle on YouTube where you can find the Cube Show presented by Wickles Pickles, which has to be the greatest uh, <laughs> brand sponsorship in the history of brand sponsorships. That's fantastic. I love that. Uh, the greatest pickles. pickles you'll ever have, too. So if you get a chance <laughs> to grab some, I'm, it's not your normal pickle. It's totally different. It's, they're amazing. 
That's what I'm talking about. Um, you can also find Cole on Twitter. Uh, this is his Twitter account, and this is the uh, at Cole Kubelik, and then at Cube Show is the Twitter account for his podcast. Cole, how else can people uh, follow your work? Uh, I'm 7 to 10 a.m. weekday mornings on WJOX in Birmingham, jocksfm.com. That's joxfm.com with Greg McElroy. We do a local radio show here in Birmingham. Uh, be on XFL games this spring. We are uh, Sunday on ESPN, I believe, at 3 o'clock your time. Um, we've got San Antonio at Orlando, so we'll be doing that each and every week, ESPN and ABC. Um, you saw the Twitter. That's the Instagram and everything else, too. So um, getting that, trying to get the podcast going a little bit. We, we talked to SEC offenses this week um, on yesterday's episode, and I think Tennessee fans will be pleased with what I – what I believe the outlook is for the Vol offense. Because you guys think about it. I mean, I think we have 10 new offensive coordinators. And then of the four wow. the four offensive coordinators that are back, I think only two of those have a starting quarterback back. So, like, I think LSU yeah. and Vanderbilt, I believe, are only two OCs with starting quarterbacks returning. And, well, actually, no, Ole Miss is one, but they bring in a new quarterback who everybody thinks is going to start. So, right. It's, it's got a chance to be really different in the league this year, so I'm, I'm anxious to see. But Tennessee has some advantages that we talk about that um, I, think I think your fans will be, be on board with. Hey, if the Eagles had Joe Milton at quarterback at the end of that game, that ball could have reached the end zone on that Hail Mary. I'm just <laughs> no doubt. No <laughs> doubt. He, he, would, he would have been able to get it there. I don't think there's any doubt about that. He could have thrown it through the uprights from the opposite 20, man. <laughs> no doubt. Well, Cole, thank you so much for joining us. This has been awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. We obviously value your wisdom. Uh, like I said, on YouTube, at CubeShow61, and on Twitter, at Cole Kubelik. Uh, Cole, we appreciate you so much. Thank you. I appreciate you guys. And I'll say this. I am beyond impressed with uh, your technical capabilities, being able to throw different things up on the show. Like, like I was, you guys – your listeners don't know, but it took me like 14 minutes just to get logged on to this call. So very impressed with how technically savvy you are. Well, I appreciate that very much. We appreciate it. Cole, you're the man. Thank you so much. Uh, Absolutely. We, we owe you one. Oh, I forgot one last thing. I forgot. I almost forgot. You are now an honorary bro, Cole. Uh, we, we do that for every person who comes on our show and, uh, and we send them, we send them this shirt. So we'd love to send you that shirt. Uh, and Smoky Gray uh, has got the honorary bro. So you're an honorary bro now, Cole. I'll take it. I'll take it. Especially after that old Miss game a couple of years ago. I still get tweets about that one. So we need all the help <laughs> we can get in Knoxville. Oh, man. Yep. That don't was a don't fun judge one, us all by a few. Yeah, there exactly. you go. No, there it's go. all good. It's all good. Well, thank I you, I appreciate Cole. you really guys appreciate having you. me. Wow. How awesome was that that we got to have Cole Kubelik on the show? We so appreciate him for joining us. If you want to see some other interviews we've had with like Coach Lance Decker or Mark Nagy or even uh, one of the only players who ever got to play Tennessee basketball for both Conzo Martin and Bruce Pearl, uh, you can click on that playlist right there and you can find all those videos. We'd love it if you subscribe. Just click that subscribe button right up there. And we hope to see you next time on The Vol Bros. <laughs>